0: Today's reading is from Hebrews 1132 to 40. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they, may, they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the reading of God's word.
1: Twist it, twist it, there we go. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. You know what I was thinking um, as we gathered today? You know, the weather is getting nicer. Maybe on um, occasional Sundays we should meet in the park again and kind of do potlucks. And I think that would be kind of fun, yeah? And I know you, you Brooklyn folks would love it. So. <laughs> and I was also thinking, you know, there's so many people uh, who labor to kind of you know, put the service together, and, you know, because we've, like, we have less people now, it's, like, more work, and it just kind of, I don't know, I feel for some of you all who come in every Sunday, and um, I think it'd be, like, a nice break, too, from, like, setting up on Sundays and kind of enjoy fellowship. Anyway, I thought I had, so uh, as uh, some of us meet, um, the council meets, we'll we'll start planning that and maybe do it, uh, you know, on occasion as the weather gets nicer in the summer. Uh, next week, we'll resume our Second Corinthians passage, uh, but today, uh, man, I really wrestled with what I should preach today. I, I think I changed the sermon maybe about three times. Sedge, good job looking at the spreadsheet. I changed it. <laughs> I completely forgot. I should have uh, reminded you that the, the passage changed. Uh, but, you know, we, we've been uh, reflecting on the resurrection this entire month, and it kind of led to our Easter service last Sunday. And I, I wanted to do, like, a post-Easter message, and so as I was, like, thinking about what to preach, uh, this is what came up. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, uh, we'll get started. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for gathering us here today, and, um, you know, I, uh, I think sometimes a Sunday after Easter uh, can feel a little bit anticlimactic, and... Um, You know, maybe there's uh, great wisdom in that because uh, it's another reminder that though we have this living hope that we look forward to, uh, sometimes the experience and the reality of our lives uh, can feel anticlimactic. And it's a reminder that as we live in this world as exiles, uh, struggles come along with it. Uh, But we want to be able to live uh, with living hope uh, in the midst of some of these kinds of experiences that we have uh, with faith. And uh, what a wonderful passage to teach us and to show us um, uh, the beauty of faith and the gift of faith and also the witness of faith as we look at all these um, witnesses in Jesus name we pray amen hey so I don't know about you but uh, I was talking to like a few people this week and especially like a few pastors and uh, it's like so interesting they were all saying after Easter I don't know if it's like spiritual warfare or something, but everybody just feels like down, right? and, and I can see why people f- might like feel that way because if you follow the church calendar, uh, I d- I don't know how many of you like fast or uh, take uh, the Lenten season uh, or do anything during that season, but you know it, it kind of begins a season where you're a little bit more intentionally engaged in spiritual disciplines, and you're a little bit more focused and. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit more intense. And that leads you to the Passion Week. And during the Passion Week, it culminates into this, like, Good Friday where you reflect on the wonderful and the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. And, you know, we gathered in respective homes to reflect on that. And then you come to Easter Sunday. And Easter Sunday is like this huge celebration where we celebrate the resurrection. And even the kids know that this is a special day because they do all these Easter egg hunts. And what we do is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over sin and death. And because that is the climax of the gospel story, everything kind of builds up to that day, right? To Easter Sunday, and then Easter passes. And then you kind of uh, start to wonder, okay, now what, right? And it feels a little bit anticlimactic. And so uh, I don't know if you feel a little bit like that, but uh, some of the folks that I talked to this week feel a little bit like that. And, you know, it kind of feels like a little spiritually lethargic maybe. Uh, It's like Alex uh, Honnold, if you saw Free Solo. You know, he spends this intense time of training in order to free solo to the top of the El Capitan mountain. And he gets up and he feels like that joy. And then it's like back to ordinary life, right? Now what? Well, if we follow Jesus' trajectory, after he was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven. After he ascended into heaven came Pentecost, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came down, established a church, and the mission of the church was to proclaim this gospel to all nations. And so it would make a lot of sense to talk about the mission of the church, which I think uh, we'll do later this year after we're done with our Second Corinthians series. But today, actually, what I want to talk about is something that sounds very mundane, something that sounds very ordinary, but I think something that is incredibly important for the Christian life. And what essentially I want to talk about is patience, and waiting patience and waiting i was thinking about the christian life and if you if you if you really think about it the christian life is about waiting right we have this promise through the resurrection and this promise hasn't yet come to fruition and therefore what we're doing in this life is we're just waiting for jesus to return so that the dead would be raised to life so that we would receive this inheritance that we talked about last week And what Hebrews 11 does, the author gives us all of these examples of the saints from the Old Testament who were able to wait for the fulfillment of God's promises, even though in their particular lifetime, they actually never saw the fulfillment of God's promise. And what the author wants to do is he wants to encourage this community that was undergoing suffering and persecution, and he wants to say, not only is Jesus better, but his promises, they are worth waiting for. Uh, but waiting is hard. I think especially for New Yorkers, Uh, New Yorkers are particularly impatient people. Uh, Waiting is very difficult. You know, I traveled to Louisville this week, and I was at a conference, and by the way, anytime I go to, like, uh, another city, uh, I come back saying, oh, man, there's no city like New York, right? New York is just the best. But I was in Louisville, and, you know, service is so slow. (laughs) You go to eat. It's like, come on, come on. Uh, But anyway, uh, on the way home... uh, I got to the airport a few hours earlier and uh, I was there about like two and a half hours early so I I started working on this sermon and I started thinking about patience and I started thinking about waiting as I was waiting for my my flight. And I got on the flight and we uh, landed at Newark Airport, it was a little bit after 9 p.m. and I was just very eager to get home and it was like one of those situations you know when you land. And you can't go to the gate because there's another plane in the gate. And you just, like, sit on the plane for, like, 30 minutes to 45 minutes. So that was the situation. So the pilot says, uh, there's a plane in our gate, and it hasn't left yet. And so uh, I'll keep you posted. And you just kind of wait there for, like, 30. And I don't know. Do they turn off the air conditioner or something in those situations? Because then the plane gets, like, incredibly hot, and you just get very uncomfortable. And we're just like, ah, waiting. Finally, we get to the gate. And uh, I was actually the second to last row, so I'm waiting for everybody to get off the plane, the plane. I'm like, oh man, hurry up. There's this that one person who can't get their bag out of their, their top, and they're like, duh, 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 and I'm like, uh, can I help you? It's like, no, I got it. I was like, no, no, let me help you. <laughs> I push the bag out. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to get home. Uh, so I get off. I, I, you know, go on my phone, request like a lift. After about 10 minutes, a car arrives and I go, yes, I'm gonna be home soon. By this time, it's like maybe around 10 o'clock. And uh, normally around that time, there's never any traffic. Who's driving at 10 o'clock at night? But this time, there's like a ton of traffic. And I'm like, what is going on? And there happened to be construction going on and in probably one of the worst locations to do construction, it's like these two highways merging into like a local road. So you have like these two lanes and these two lanes and they're merging. And in this local road, it had two lanes and they shut down one of the lanes. So now you essentially have four lanes coming from these two highways, merging into this one lane. There's a traffic light right here, right? And so it's like red light and the only time cars can go is when the the light turns green. And I'm watching this, I'm like, ugh and then my driver decides oh let me let me see if i can take a shortcut right and there's like this gas station on the side and uh, she thinks like oh maybe i can like cut everybody if i just go in this gas station so she pulls into this gas station I'm like oh what are you doing she's like uh, i'm trying to see if there's a faster way oh nope and then she tries to go back into the lane and no cars are gonna let her in so we're just waiting there and um in my mind i had all sorts of angry thoughts uh i thought the construction whoever made the decision to do construction here at this particular day at this particular time i said really right really you have to do this now in this spot and i looked at the the construction workers and even though they have no say in the decision or they have nothing to do with it i, I drove past i gave them a glare like why are you doing this now and uh, i think at that moment i thought i understand something about patience uh, the greek word for patience is macrothumas Macro means long, Dumas, you know what that means? It actually means anger, <laughs> right? So even though um, looking at the etymology of a word isn't always the right way to go to understand a word, I thought it was a little bit, it's, it's useful in this case. The word for patience literally means long anger or slow to anger, right? And I, I wondered why the Greek word for anger was part of the etymology for the word patience and in that moment, it's like, aha, that's why it's part <laughs> of more patience. Because if you think about patience, what you're doing is uh, you're withholding your anger, you're bearing with whatever you think is wrong in that moment. So when you t- tell your child, don't play with that cup of juice, right? Don't play with that straw. And then a minute later, the juice spills all over the table and all over the floor. Patience means you're, you're withholding your desire to express your anger to your child in that moment. One of my former counseling professors, he passed away now, but uh, David Powelson, he wrote this article about anger once, and he said something interesting about patience. He says patience is the opposite of anger. Patience and anger both recognize that something is wrong, so in that way they're similar, but patience bears with whatever that wrong thing is. Uh, In other words, patience is forbearance, which doesn't mean patience turns you into like this passive doormat that gets walked over, uh, but patience is forbearance, meaning this. This is what he writes. Forbearance is very different from being a doormat, passively absorbing abuse, even inviting abuse. A doormat psychologically drowns in the sense of powerlessness, victimhood, cringing fear, self-pity, and self-condemnation. But forbearance is courageous and clear-minded. It exhibits the dignity of a choice. Forbearance is powerful but non retaliatory even while continuing to experience pain and unfairness. Patience forbears while never losing either the hope of altering or the intention of repairing what is so wrong. It does not reach the end of its rope like impatience. It does not explode like destructive vengeance. It does not give up in exhaustion, disgust, or despair. The willingness to work over the long haul is the first piece of the constructive displeasure of mercy. I know it's a little bit of a long. uh, quote, but I thought it was like a very nuanced way of understanding the kind of forbearance that is required in patience. And by now, you all know the slap that was heard across the world, and a lot of people have commented uh, or commended Chris Rock for the way he handled the situation of getting slapped on live TV at this prestigious award show, and how he didn't retaliate and make a bad situation worse. And even though he was the one who kind of bore the pain of at least humiliation in that particular moment, maybe later on he got vindicated, but in that particular moment, that's kind of humiliating, right? Somebody, many, imagine one of you just came up, bam, hit me in the face, like, oh, oh <laughs> right? That's humiliating. <laughs> I, I don't know if anyone would say uh, for Chris Rock, the refusal to retaliate was an expression of weakness. I, I just hear a lot of people saying, that was actually uh, an expression of strength and self-control. And, of course, he deserved to be angry, but rather than lash out in anger, uh, he demonstrated patience, and he was slow to anger, and he didn't retaliate in that moment. Now, if the Christian life is about waiting, that also means the Christian life does require patience. And uh, where does withholding anger fit into that? Well, if Easter tells us that there is a promise of a new creation, and there is this final resurrection that we are waiting for, where there's going to be no more... Injustice, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin, where everything wrong will finally be made right. That means while we wait, we're still going to experience suffering, we are still going to experience injustice, we are still going to experience death and sin and everything that is wrong with the world. And without patience, we're probably going to want to lash out at many of those wrong things. Sometimes, lash out towards God and many times lash out towards other people. And so what does this have to do with the hope of the resurrection? Well, I think part of waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise is the ability to have forbearance, to bear with the sins, the griefs, the hardships that come in this world without actually losing hope, uh, without lashing out either at God or people. Uh, When COVID first hit us in 2020, uh (coughs) i don't know if you remember but i remember the first sermon i preached after we canceled our in-person service and uh it was a sermon about waiting and we looked at joshua chapter 3 after god had delivered israel from slavery and now they're holding on to this promise and they're walking towards this land of promise and before they get there they find themselves kind of in uh, this liminal space between Uh, freedom from Egypt, freedom from the bondage of slavery, and the fulfillment of God's promise. Uh, But in that liminal space, they encounter many obstacles. One of the obstacles that they encounter is in Joshua 3, where as they were drawing closer and closer to this land, you have the Jordan River that's in their way. And during that time, I remember I read an article from a former classmate of mine, and he pointed out this small detail that I never noticed before. And basically, he said, before God brought them through the Jordan River, Uh, the people had to wait there for three days before they crossed it, right? In other words, God made them wait for three days before actually delivering them and uh, actually, I don't know, removing that obstacle and pushing them forward through the Jordan River. And this is what um, my former classmate wrote. He says this, What's it like to sit in your tent watching a river at flood stage churning by? what's it like to watch your children playing outside knowing that they're going to have to somehow cross this engorged river dark and flood stirred sediment what's it like to look at your sheep and donkeys and the precious heirlooms you carried all the way from egypt that represent your life savings and wonder if you might lose it all how does it feel to know that god is calling you to keep moving forward that he is promising to be with you but that all you can actually see is a river whose depth you do not know but of whose fatal power you can be so sure. And the question is, why did God have these people wait for three days before he brought them through the Jordan River? And the answer is this. Uh, This waiting period is a period where God invites us to trust him. Uh, This waiting period is actually the periods where we grow in faith. You ever think about that? Some of you frustrated, kind of wondering about next steps, about next careers, about where you're going to live next, about all these future things, and kind of you feel stuck in this liminal period, and it's like, I haven't yet arrived, but there's somewhere I want to go, and it's like extremely frustrating. Perhaps consider this is the period where God is giving you an opportunity to grow the most to trust in him. Because when you have a, a sense of direction, but you don't know how you're going to get there, Uh, what does it require? Well, it requires to trust in the Lord, and God has given us the sense of direction, this eternal sense of direction, and whatever happens in this life is kind of this liminal space where we can grow in faith. Hebrews 11 is all about faith, and it gives us example after example after example of all these Old Testament saints who lived by faith, They were told, wait for the fulfillment of God's promise, even though none of them actually lived long enough to be able to see it in their lifetime. But they were able to be patient and to live a life of waiting, and in that process of waiting, God assured them of their hope and their faith grew stronger. Um, It's as though we are in a waiting room at a doctor's office. Uh, Have you ever been in that waiting room? Uh, It's like the worst. For some reason, um, my kid's pediatrician, We always end up waiting there for, like, 45 minutes before we actually get to see the doctor. And, you know, this was a change since COVID, but we don't wait in the waiting room anymore. But what you do is, like, you call and you say, hey, we're here. And then they say, okay, go to exam room uh, 9. And then you just walk up and you go straight to the examination room. And you sit in a chair and you just wait for somebody to come in. And, you know, after, like, 20 minutes and nobody comes in, uh, doubt starts to creep in. And you start to wonder, do they know I'm here, Right? Uh, did they forget about us? So, you know, I walk out, and I go to the receptionist. I go, hey, you know we're here, right? The doctor's coming, right? They go, yeah, 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 we know you're waiting, right? And the receptionist gives assurance uh, that, indeed, we have checked in, and the doctor does know that we are waiting. Another 20 minutes go by, it's like, oh, man, should I go ask again? It's been like 40 minutes that we've been waiting in here. But no, I'm like, all right, the, the receptionist assured me the doctor is coming. Uh, I think the Christian life can be a little bit about like that waiting room. And sometimes when you feel like you're waiting for so long uh, between, um, you know, resurrection and the fulfillment of God's promise, doubt can creep in. And that's the thing about that liminal space, even for the people of Israel. It's either a place where your faith can grow or it's a place where doubt creeps in and it leads you towards rebelling against God. But just like the receptionist, faith is kind of like that way of assuring you, hey, the doctor will be in, right? I assure you, um, this appointment that you made will come to fruition. And that's why faith is important. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that waiting is something that is entirely passive because it can feel like that, right? Oh, so you're just saying the Christian life is just kind of about going through the motions and just waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise? No, there are other active things that you do while you wait. There are... um, ways to wait well Uh, for example in a doctor's office you might be filling out some paperwork or a nurse might come in and take your vitals and you only actively participate in those things because you believe that eventually the doctor is going to come and fulfill the promise of that appointment to see you otherwise why fill out that tedious paperwork why do you go through the motions of getting weighed and having your blood pressure taken you do it because while you're waiting you believe in a promise even though the Christian life is a life of waiting, it doesn't mean it's a passive life, but your waiting is actually expressed in actions that are in accordance with your faith that assures you in terms of the hope that you long for. Look at this passage for a minute. Uh, it's a tail end of many examples of faith, and like it's a little bit of a summary, uh, and the author is basically saying, look at all these examples that I can point to from the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, I'm going to rush through them very quickly because I've already gone through a whole bunch of uh, examples A little bit longer but uh, I want you to get the point right we have these examples of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets and then according to verses 39 and 40 none of them received what was promised which means that they were all in this waiting period too yet they were all commended for their faith during this period of waiting for God to fulfill his promise and what did waiting look like for them we see it right starting in verse 33 through faith they conquered kingdoms Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And so for these particular Old Testament saints, waiting wasn't about sitting and watching the clock tick by, but it was living in such a way that reflected their hope in God himself and his power and in the promise of the resurrection. You look at verse 35 and it says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. And the only reason people were able to endure such things like torture and persecution, it says here is because of a of the resurrection. They look forward to rising again to a better life. And that's a remarkable statement because if Jesus was raised from the dead, if that is a true statement, then it means that their life, their better life, is still yet to come. Uh, I think some of you are familiar with like prosperity preachers who might say things like, God wants you to live your best life now. And some of you, I would say, probably are, um, I guess, well-versed enough in uh, the biblical message and theology and those kind of things to say, that's not exactly consistent with the message of the Bible. The Bible never says that we're supposed to live our best life now And uh, we ought to do whatever we can to make our lives on this world, on this planet, in this age, worth it. If anything, what the Bible says, and we see it from this passage, is this, that the Christian life is a life that is oriented towards the future. That our best life is not now, but the better life is to come. And even though some of us know that our best life is not now, I do wonder how many of us live as if it were, right? Right? that deep in our hearts, we do believe that this is all that we have and therefore, we need to make good use of our life now. How disappointed would you be if your life never came to fruition in terms of your vision for it? If uh, you never achieved the level of success you wanted? How disappointed would you be if you never got the career you wanted or the promotion you wanted? How disappointed would you be if you never got uh, married or had the family you wanted? How disappointed would you be if things just didn't work out according to all of your hard work and what you wanted to achieve? It's natural to be disappointed, right? But would that disappointment define you? Would it define how you see and understand and interpret your life? Would it tell you whether or not your life was meaningful or not? Or would it simply be another reminder that hey, you will be raised to a better life. I certainly struggle with falling into that former category. And uh, the disappointments of life sometimes can feel too disappointing. But this is why the gift of faith is so important. This is why it's so important to be able to wait well, to exercise patience, to be reminded this is not the better life, but the better life is to come. And the calling is to live in view of that better life to come, to wait well with patience, to wait well with faith. We are a people that are characterized by waiting. We are strangers in this world, as Peter would say, exiles, and we are not yet home. That means we really need to hold on to some of the things of this world loosely. That's not to say we shouldn't pursue what we want. By all means, pursue it. But if disappointment comes our way and we never end up getting what we want for our lives, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't render our lives meaningless. It doesn't say that the life that we lived here was a waste. But what it does say is there's a life that is to come that is better, that we will be raised to. And all of us, we are waiting for that life. And we want to wait with faith, utilize this time to answer God's invitation to trust him, to trust him. Are you waiting? Are you waiting for the resurrection? Even after we celebrated it last week, um, is it still in your hearts and your minds? It's hard to wait. There's challenges of waiting. But in some ways, that's the call for the life of faith. Let's pray. Um, you know, what I want to do, so we're going to uh, partake in, the, uh, in communion today. And we're actually going to invite the kids to come in as we partake. But before they come in, uh, I want to give you some time uh, to pray on your own. And, you know, patience is one of those things where, you know, it's not only a virtue in society. Everybody appreci- appreciates patience, but uh, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, and when the Spirit is in us and bears his fruit in our lives, uh, one of the expressions of that is patience, meaning the ability to bear um, the ability to wait. And waiting is so difficult. And if you're around my age, you feel maybe time is running out (laughs) and uh, you get more impatient. Oh, here come the kids. All right, so prayer time will be shorter today. (laughs) Um, Ask God to give you the gift of patience and to hope, uh, to hold this life a little bit looser to help you wait with faith. And
0: uh, afterwards, I'll, I'll ask, then Peter, you can lead us in a song, and then we'll partake in communion together.